Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Another morning in the pouring rain. Hey Limehouse dudes, hey Limehouse listeners, limey, limey, limers you, how you doing? It's so good to have you back for this episode, I'm so excited, we've got Tim Bentink who plays David Archer on the show, David freaking Archer, 35 years, man and boy, radio star on this show, I am so excited, he's got an amazing book out as well which I really thoroughly recommend you get it's called being david archer and other unusual ways to make a living it's freaking awesome i've read it it's warm it's cozy it's full of amazing anecdotes it's full of the stories that the behind the 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 career of a real honest to goodness honest to god jobbing actor you know he's not a mega movie star uh, you know, or whatever. He's not the kind of guy you, you see on the Mar- a Mark Maron webs uh, 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 episode podcast episode. And you click on it and you go, "Oh my God, it's uh, Billy Crystal or something." Sure, it's not like that. But I'm telling you, this conversation is incredible. It's beautiful. It's warm. It's cozy. It's a bit heartbreaking at times. But yeah, how have you been? I've been really good. Obviously, um, it's the end of year, man. So. Yikes! What have we done? What haven't we done? We, we've done a lot together, haven't we? We've spoken to a lot of people, and I, yeah, oh my God, I mean, what's been your favourite? You know, my my favourite so far. I think we we chatted last week about my favourite on, on the podcast, but I, I wonder uh, truly if if since that podcast you've had any more further ideas. And obviously, if you want to let us know about who that might be, you can do that on Twitter at Limehouse Pod. We can have further conversation there about any f- ideas you've had on your favourite particular subject matter of any said episode. It'd be cool to expand on that, you know, so we can think about other other issues to talk about going forward into 2018. And my God, we have got some serious guests lined up for you in 2018. I'm so excited. And we, you know, obviously we want to keep growing the podcast and the best way to do that is through teeny, teeny little bits of donation. If you, if you feel like doing that, please do. We, we, we've got a, a cool little website that, that is very accessible and very easy to use. It's called Patreon. So you can go to that and it, the address is patreon.com forward slash the Limehouse podcast. And you can donate whatever you like and it will really help grow this show. Anyway, so before I press play on this marvellous interview that I did with Tim, I, I do I do want you to commit to this, okay? Because it's freaking awesome! It's it's funny and warm and I, I genuinely really did open up quite a lot actually. I think to write it towards the end of this show, I, I make a, an observation about why I started listening to The Arches. And it's an honest, it's an honest reaction. Uh, and I didn't really, I didn't even realise why I'd started listening to The Archers until that exact point, until I talked to Tim about it. And I think he found it quite sweet and endearing. 
and what have you. And I hope you do too. So yes, anyway guys, without any further ado, here's the chat and I, I hope to see you on Twitter. And I hope to see you, I don't know, some somewhere down the line. Enjoy this. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, the Tim has shown me a script. It's an Archer's script. Oh, and he's got all these loads of notes on it. Okay. Um, and now I'm turning the page, right? Okay. Listen to listen to the listen to the page turn. There you go. It's a oh, silent page turn. You know what? That if there were a camera in this room, <laughs> my my eyes have welled up. Yeah. Through the, the sheer magic of that moment. Thirty-five years of turning pages. Yeah. So if anything you've learnt from act, from acting on the arches it is fundamentally how to turn a piece of paper pretty much that's all yeah. you need to master the rest of it takes care of itself yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. is it is that have you learnt have you learnt that from anyone in particular or have you just learnt that down the years did did for example did you bump into olivier or anyone like what, that turning the page yeah no because they you find that that classical actors can't do it yeah, really? No, they come in from the stage or from TV or film and everything. They can't do the page turning bit. They're very good at the acting part of it, but they don't have that understanding the relationship with the microphone yeah. or the relationship with the script. <laughs> <laughs> They're sort of scumbags, really, in a way. I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't describe Olivia as a scumbag, but you know, I mean, especially after that, the world at war. Oh my God, mm. Hitler. Well, Sam West. Mean? Sam West is the best war narrator because he gets it absolutely right. He, he adds the right amount of gravitas and authority to, to it, but he's not doing a performance. It's a very, very clever thing. Yeah. And Olivier was all right for the time because it was his, that World at War was in the, what was in the 50s or 60s, 60s, I think. World at War was probably like, I think And he did, he, he made it a performance, but it sort of works. I don't know. I mean, when you get yeah. used to it, I used to get really put off it. Yeah. But then you've got the, you've got the, um, the RSC Esch, you know, that's the other thing, is that when, you, <laughs> when you, you find that you do Shakespeare, you have to... Why have you uh, turned into Sean Connery? It's not Sean Connery. That is Sean Connery. No, it's not. <laughs> not that's Sean Connery. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Sean Connery. No, and, 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 and an RS, RSC actor, yeah. you find that they go there and they say S, and oh. within about a year of Sicily Berry, who's the voice coach there, they all say S, even the girls. The girls go S as well. It's quite extraordinary. <laughs> so we don't air in the arches very much. Okay. No, it's not an SE show. That's good. Show. It's not an SE show. I didn't know that. I've got to look at. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen out for that a lot. Okay. Um, Sir Ian. Let's Sir Ian. Oh, Sir Ian. Sir Ian McKellen. You listen to Sir Ian McKellen. And there was a shot of um, the you know the field of Agincourt at the beginning, and they wanted a bit of Shakespeare. And I only just turned up. It's nine o'clock in the morning, and I had to ad lib Shakespeare. Doing that, so I did my yeah. Sir Ian McKellen. But you know, having you having said that now has made me think of Ian McKellen's voice, and it's in my head, and that's how I can hear it now. Yeah. You know what? You're right, Tim. You're right, and I'm and I was wrong. <laughs> not at all. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> but there is a certain way that Shakespearean actors do speak. <laughs> you know, and it. I mean, even what you know, when you're captain of the Starship Enterprise, there's an element of. Oh you my know, God! You're so right. You know? Oh my God, Picard! Yeah, I can actually hear him now. There he is. Um, Just an element of eshing going on. No, totally, yeah. absolutely. It's like, will Will take us to the, the, the commander of the bridge? Um, I forgot his fucking. Make it so. Name. Make it show. Not quite. There's too much. Make it. Make it so. Make it so. Yeah. Make <laughs> make it so. Oh my god! I didn't know that was from a thespian background. Yeah. 
Guys. You thought it was from space, like I did. I thought it was a man, you know, who, who, lived, who was the captain of the Starship Enterprise, you know, like most of us do. It's only later that you realise that he's actually, you know, a Shakespearean actor. He's actually a trade actor. Yeah. Fuck it, dog. And now my mate Jason Isaacs is the captain of the Starship Enterprise. It could happen to anybody, you know. It could still happen to me. It's like being the President of the United States. Who'd have ever thought that... No, I'm not going to go down that road. Yeah, no, well, no, 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 I mean, no, no. it's it's a matter of time, though. Oh. I mean, what what film... Because I was going to ask this towards yeah. the end of the Sorry. interview. Right. But I think I'll just ask it now. What film role that you haven't done now would you like more than anything in the entire universe? Like, either someone to write it for you or it's a book, a character in a book or... A, or no, a... it's more generic than that. I just really want to be a Bond baddie. That's what. That's the one. Not Bond, because the Bond has gone past me by. I knew when Timothy Dalton became James Bond yeah. that it wasn't going to happen to me because you can't have Timothy Dalton and then the next Bond is Timothy Bentink because you already have a Timothy. So just on that reason at all, whether or not I was right for it or not, you couldn't have Timothy and then two two syllables. I'd have had to have been Tim, you know, Thrust what? or something. Tim Thrust. <laughs> Tim, yeah. Tim Thrush. Thrush. Um, no, Thrush. I, I know I added the Thrush, <laughs> but I was doing my. Um, I was doing my um, thespian right. thing. Right, uh, thrush. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, a Bond baddie, yeah. Because yeah. uh, you can do that at any age and you don't have to be necessarily hugely famous. You can yeah. be just, you know, be right for the role. So when you're like late, late at night, lying down, getting to sleep, trying to get, I mean, for me, whenever I need to sleep, I need to, I need to put myself in a, a nice kind of like meditative um, paradise where I'm somewhere that I really, really want to be. I'm doing something I really want to be doing. Mm. Um, is your is yours a Bond villain? No. No. No, I don't go to bed dreaming of being a Bond villain. No. No. That's a disappointment. I thought I you would like envisage it in your mind, and you've really thought it out, like you've really planned it out. No, because that would you know be a bit sad, really. No, would it? Yeah. I mean, you know, regrets of things that you didn't do. You could spend the rest of your life doing that. There's no but, point in that. Read my book, as you know. I don't. <laughs> I, don't I don't do. Um. You know, I've had enough shit. Yeah. It's, it's gone wrong. And if I dwelt on that, which of course, you know, wake up at four o'clock in the morning and go, oh shit, why did I say that? Yeah. I do, of course why I do that, I but I don't kind of dwell on it, you know, you yeah. have to kind of put your mind into positive thoughts. Yeah, no, it's funny because you're only, what, 64? Yeah. So that's like prime villain age. Should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm intending for. That's what 2018 is going to hold for me. Yeah, definitely. You've seen me being a bit, you've seen me doing that locked up, doing the, 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 the bank robbers. No. In the car with my two sons. No. My mate Phil downstairs, the plumber. Yeah. He's just told me because he saw it. He said he thought it was really good. And he. And he it's him, you see. Oh really? Yeah. oh, really? I based it on him. You've researched That's an actual person. Well, I just know him, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm meant to be this bank robber and I'll get locked up in the car with two sons. We get locked in. Oh, yeah, you know, you were saying about it on your in your locked book. In. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty nasty. It sounds really nasty. No, it's not. It's very funny. Oh, is it oh, comedy? You, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, no, it's, okay. no, 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 it's very funny. Oh, right, because there is an act, there's a film, isn't there, that, 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 that's based, it's not... It's along those lines, but it's really sadistic and nasty. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to. No, no, no. I, I'm quite scared of those kind of. Thi- I'm very wussy. No, I'm, there's two I'm, ones where I'm playing a, a, a Londoner. There's, there's, it's called Locked Up. 
and yeah. uh, by, you know, it's directed by a guy called Bugsy Riverbank Steel, which is about the coolest name ever anybody will have. And we shot it for two days in this car, and it's down to a, something like a seven-minute film, and it's tight, and it's really good, and, and well shot. And, yeah. fun. and there's another one called The Club. In which I'm this real serious gangster, right? It's one of channeling Ray, right? It's one of channel Ray, and it's full of Fs in it, you know, and it's got a C in it as well. But it's got a twist, it's got a twist at the end, which makes you fucking laugh. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Okay. I'll show you that. I'm surprised you haven't done your fucking research, to be honest. I have. I have. And now you're scaring me because it's a really weird and really weirdly good impression of, I don't know, like a hybrid between Ray Winston and... Uh... I've got this... I do have a dream sometimes where I get a part to play a, a London gangster yeah. and I turn up to the read-through and there's all the, you know, the the, the, the British actors who are... The, and there's Ray, who's playing the, the lead. Oh, and I, I walk in, you know... All right, Ray, my name's Tim. How yeah. you doing? And he goes, All right, Tim, nice to meet you. And then halfway through the read through, he's Googled me, right? And he says, Hang on, wait a minute, you're a fucking Earl. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm exposed. And, I, and I, 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 it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. And, and it says you're David Archer. You're David Archer. God, you've got so much depth in your family. Oh, God, you've got all that now. Because, well, you know, I used to, I've got quite a light voice, you know, generally. But years of, you know, abuse, really. It's <laughs> all the voice having to do shouting. Do a lot of shouting in my, you know, in your yeah, profession. In my profession, do a lot of shouting, and that's given me a bit of gravitas do as you, well. Do you call it projection in your in your? No, it's no projection. Is for Shakespearean actors who do yes. projection. No, we do shouting. Get shouting. out! Get out of my farmland! You wait. You get all you have to do is to go to a, a video game called Vermintide, right? Yeah. And I am Victor Saltspire, the okay. witch hunter, and yeah. um, I've just done sixteen hours, two hours a day for t- for a fortnight. Shouting as as the witch hunter, who's who's like a sort of rather camp, who's rather rather vicious and rather nasty, Kenneth Williams, <laughs> at full pitch. And after two hours of that, yeah, you have to. There's a thing called this great Chinese um, throat stuff called pei pa kao. So you just remember pei pa kao. Excuse me. Pei pa kao. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you keep sipping on paper cow, and then you protect your voice against. It. Otherwise, you you uh, you end up with those with yeah. no voice. But a lot of doing that kind of stuff has um, God. has given me the ability to, you know. So you mean you, you kind of sound like like what Kurt Cobain did is basically just screamed and screamed yeah. until he got the voice he wanted. Well, it's true. So it has. I mean, I've now got two voices. I've got this, which is me. Hello. And then I've got inner world. You know, where we can do the inner world <laughs> adverts, which I'm desperate to do because they you know, get paid a lot for. Are you gonna? Are you gonna? Is, is that on the cards? I've I've, I've got a demo of, of that. Yeah, I've got, yeah, I did a cowboy movie and as I did a spoof um, trailer for it. You know, in a in a world where David Archer <laughs> r- rides the <laughs> rides the plains. You know. <laughs> it's one of those. But gets irritated because there's not enough tea. Yeah, you you're know. right for tea there. Well, it's bloody cold. Oh, no. It's because you've been, been rabbiting. It. You've been rabbiting too. Much. I've been drinking it too, laddie slow. Yeah. Um, I was going to say actually, it's funny because um, reading the early part of your book, um, you, you obviously massive uh, farm loving man, a countryside loving man. I was actually a farmhand myself right. for about two, two and a half years. Right. Unfortunately, I developed quite a pathological fear of cows. Oh. Because you put them in a crush and they tend, they're fine. You go through like 
but there's a whole herd of them. There's always one at the end that's completely psychotic. That won't, yeah, that won't move. Do you, have you got any tales of well, the unexpected? Well, I, I, when I started doing the arches, because I, I, I worked with cows as well, and the the, the way that, that the people I'd worked with treated them was, was sort of not abusive, but they used to shout at them, go, get on, you brute, get on, you beast, go on, get out of it, and be frustrated with them. And sheep as well, it's the other thing, sheep, you know, it's like with sheep, they're so stupid. I mean, you know, you're trying to be nice to them and everything. You go, you are so thick. When you watch sheep trials and you look at the dogs and you think, oh God, who, you know, who'd be, of all animals in the world, look at planet Earth, you know, anything by David Attenborough and you go, I admire all life forms, probably except sheep because, you know, whatever was that God was handing out when the sheep came along, you know, he didn't give them any brain cells. But cows, they're, you know, they're, so I used to, do, and then somebody wrote in to me and said, you don't have a good relationship with your cows, David Archer. And I was, oh God, don't I? And then I went and went to where I used to live in Potten End in Berk- near Berkhamsted. Yeah. And I went to open a farm shop and I was chatting to the guy there. Yeah. And um, I was chatting away to the guy there and talking to him because he was a dairy farmer. He was exactly the same as David Archer and I was talking to him about him. And he said, he was telling me he gets up, you know, at five o'clock in the morning, he goes to bed at 12 o'clock at night, he doesn't get any holidays, he doesn't ha- make any money, he has no profit at the end of the year. Why do you do it? And he said, because I love my girls, meaning the cows. And he took me round, and the way that he talked to them was just with such love and such a relationship and so personable. Yeah. And and I went, I've been getting this wrong all my life. I've been treating them, you know, as David, kind of as beasts and as, you know, that I don't have a relate. I mean, I you know, I knew I had a relationship with them, and blah, 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 yeah. but not like that. And he so, really, he really taught me. Yeah. And it's very important to go and do that, to go and you know, to see what you, who the people that you're representing, because these are the real guys, and you'll yeah. just pretend, you know. The Archers is, is literally the radio show where you can say relationship underline three times with, with your audience. Mm. I mean, I've been listening for... I thought I first started listening right after Nigel had died. All right. But what, I mean, over the years, what have the... I mean, it's an obvious question, but I suppose we can see where it goes. What, what have been your most... It, storylines not involving yourself what have been, what have been the ones that have engrossed you the most if that's the word yeah well i mean recently the whole helen and rob story has been i thought exceptional and and a different dynamic to anything that had really happened in the arches before partly because it went on for such a long time and it was such a slow burn yeah. and that it was revealing things that people didn't talk about and women were saying i didn't realize that was me I didn't realise I was in this abusive relationship. I thought that was normality, you know, and it was only when they heard in on the arches and this slow, slow, slow trickling thing, I thought it was terribly clever the way it was done. And the nature of Archer's stories is that they, you know, although we have this lovely thing that it happens in real time and that you, you know, that relationships that go on for an entire lifetime go on for an entire lifetime, all of that, you tend to get stories that, you know, will last really not more than about three months, maybe maximum. Whereas this went on and on. As I say in the book, I'm very, you know, being very generous because it meant I wasn't actually working and I wasn't getting an income because it was all bloody (laughs) Robin Helen. But, you know, but seriously, it was, I thought it was really, really good um good radio good drama mm. that it was a mixture of absolutely fascinating story and yeah. it was really relevant to society and yeah. important stuff i think even because it's a, polit- a political podcast i think michael gove was involved in it as well he was listening to it on on the radio with his wife and she and she and he and he and her was sort of saying 
oh my god this storyline's unbelievable and then it drew, drew his attention ah. to the whole um, coercive control yeah and, and yeah, yeah, what yeah. Have you. I didn't realise this was a political podcast yeah <laughs> okay because <laughs> yeah, yeah. mainly yeah. apart from anything else David Archer doesn't have politics and True. as you probably noticed the Archers doesn't do politics and when it does I hate it I don't know about anybody else out there listening who's an Archers fan but I whenever Adam starts to, they were talking about Brexit the other day oh. and I I mean obviously I'm a massively political person but I was like Oh, no, 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 don't talk about Brexit. No, this is the place where you don't talk about politics. Yeah. This is our, you know, this is our escape from politics. Absolutely. No, I mean, the way that it works is that sometimes you can't avoid it, you know, sometimes. I mean, like, for instance, the perfect, perfect example of that is the hunting debate. When yeah. there would have been, when it was being debated and whether the hunting ban came in, um, that would have been monopolising the conversation in most villages around the country. Yeah. And the only place that wasn't talking about it was Ambridge. So they had to. And the way they do that is they present an argument for and they present an argument against and they balance that argument and then they don't come to a conclusion. And that in that way, they've aired the argument and yeah. they've been seen to have to, to make it relevant to the country that you live in without yeah. without being without making a political statement. And yeah. they and they've been doing that since 1951. And quite rightly, I think, as you yeah. say, you don't want to have politics in there. Mm. You know, when the general election happens, you know, they'd say, oh, so and so's one, you know, and yeah. one person would go Kuh, and the other person would go whoopee. And that's about it. Really, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, people often say, do you have any say in the thing? And the answer is no, not really. You know, being an actor is is it ours is an interpretative art, and yeah. that the the idea is that no matter what you get given, you don't say, "Oh, I can't say this." You go, "I'll find a way of saying this. I'll find a way of making it work." That's the yeah. that's the job. But there are occasionally times where you 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 know you'd, there have been times where I go, he wouldn't say it like that, and can I say it in a different way because that's not very really Davidish. Mm. But no, I mean, if somebody suddenly decided that they were going to start writing David being, you know madly political I'd have to go and we'd, we'd, we'd have a word you know we'd go and have a word yeah probably. yeah I'd probably vomit in my mouth but um because <laughs> it just ain't gonna happen yeah Who, what, so what's your what's the most memorable storyline for you that you've done personally as, as the character David well absolutely the most memorable one was discovering that that that, that Ruth was in love with Sam yeah. that, that that was the for me um, that was the turning point of, of their relationship. But, but, well, that and her, her breast, when she had breast cancer, when Ruth had breast cancer, I'm talking about fictitious people here, don't forget. Yes. Um, but when Ruth had breast cancer, that was a real, uh, that was no acting required. And um, when he discovered that, that, that Ruth was in love with, with Sam, it broke him. And um, from my point of view, playing him now, all these years later, yeah. I still know that that happened and how much she, she lied to, to David yeah. and how, how much of a betrayal of that relationship was and that from my point of view she's they've been trying to repair that ever since but it's uh, you know it's written as though that's just in the past and it never happened and we carry on where it's all hunky-dory yeah. but an actor like subtext we like to have things that go on inside our head not just you know when you say the lines it's not what the blinds say it's what you what you're thinking yeah. and all the time if she would ever come up with something about you know have a go at David about his commitment to their relationship I would not I would not be having it you <laughs> yeah. know I would be going wait a minute girl you know yeah. wait a minute because yeah. 
there was a double whammy. I mean, you know, listener, if you remember, the thing was that David thought her peculiar behaviour was because her ca- her cancer had come back mm. and that she wasn't telling him. So then when Sophie comes to the village and she's nice to David and then she's a confidant, yeah. that's all. And he had never, there was never any question of him fancying her in the slightest bit. But she spoke to him, she was nice to him and so he talked to her and so yeah. they had a, a fondness for each other. And that was because he thought that Ruth's breast cancer was coming back. She was going to die and that she wasn't telling him. Yeah. And so then when he had this heart-to-heart with her and said, tell me, darling, tell me, what is it? What is it? And then she comes out, out of left field, says, I'm in love with another man. And I went, I yeah. just very nearly went off to a hotel to have sex with him and was only saved by ringing up and finding David making the spaghetti bolognese for the kids and it was the bowl that saved our marriage, you know. That really hurt, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I would have been, for my personally, I don't think my a marriage could have survived that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty he- heavy, you know. But I think Ruth, sorry, the name of the actress that plays Ruth. Felicity Finch. Okay, Flick. sorry, I feel really bad. I think she's got one of the warmest voices in the world. I almost literally, I mean, obviously, when I, this is this funny, when I was walking, delivering flyers this time last year, I think for my, my gardening business around South East London, I was, um, I was listening to you and Ruth. I think she had gone off to New Zealand. Yeah. And, and, or she had come back and it was all very, you didn't know what the, where the hell the chips were going to fall. Yeah, I've got a song about that. Oh, you do? Oh, that's so sweet. I just, yeah. It's not sweet. <laughs> He's got a song about yeah. it. It's I, not publishable. Yeah, so no. I mean, you, obviously you and you and Ruth, but I mean, you and Ruth, obviously, but the, the, the wider country as well, when we had, for example, um, mad cow disease, mm. You know, there were millions of cows being burnt around, you know, around... Oh, God, yeah. I mean, you know, you asked me, you know, for one thing, the, 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 over the 35 years I've been in it, there have yeah. been there have been plenty. And, and that, you know, the whole thing about, about the disasters that have happened in farming in the time that I've been in the programme and that we have to reflect that, yeah. there's an enormous responsibility on us to get that right and to not seem to be, mm. you know, jumping on any bandwagon or not to take it lightly or, yeah. to, you know, to represent it properly and thoroughly and all that. It's very important that they get that right. One of the things that really warned me to this book... This is Being David Archer and Other Unusual Ways of Earning a Living available now come uh, on you can do it better than that come on there's <laughs> got to be like a better voice that you can use and you're massive don't do it in the Ray Winston though for God's no. sake go on go for it I want to hear this being David Archer and other unusual ways of in- earning <laughs> being David Archer and other unusual ways of earning a living by Timothy Bentink the new book out now no no not very good anyway, that was- it was compelling. It was compelling. <laughs> I, have to, I have to be in a studio with headphones on. Oh, okay, you know, okay. Doing all that, you know, have so a relationship the, with the microphone. It's the banjo that's putting you off. We're, yeah. By the way, we've got a banjo and an acoustic guitar behind. But there we go. There we go. Yeah. So what really got me going about the book when I first picked it up was how it's so warm. The the, the fact that it's kind of yes, we all know that your background is David Archer, and amongst other obviously other roles, but it's got a, a natural warmth to it that isn't overdone. Um, and it's not overplayed. It's not. I'm trying to be a lovely guy. I'm just trying to be. An, it's a very honest book. It's very. It's very sweet. Very down to earth. And I loved it. Well, that, that's. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of come out that way. And it was funny because when I was writing it, what's weird is when I was writing it, I wasn't really thinking about who was going to read it. And I was writing this as though I was just telling a story to friends and yeah. or to my family, to my wife or to my sons or my sisters. Yeah. And with a kind of our a kind of almost a shorthand of family humour and you know cheekiness yeah. about it and that I think when I then read it back when I did the audio book of it and I went oh this 
it's very easy to read as an audiobook because I wrote it in the way that I speak. And yeah. so it's not like writing a novel or, not, or writing a you know a history book or anything like that. It's it it's chat. It's very chatty. Yeah. And that comes across. And I have to take my hat off to the editors because I wrote one hundred twenty-five thousand words, and they whittled that down to ninety-five. And they cut a lot, and they preceded it, and they you know they really tightened it up, and they put you know that bit shouldn't be there. That would take that and put that there. But then they change the order and the sequence yeah. and things. And they, the 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 editing job that they did on it turns it into a into a very readable book whereas if you read the manuscript that I first wrote mm. it's just me rambling on really yeah um and, but they they took that that natural style and then professionalized it which yeah. is so yeah it's yeah it's it's nice now when when did you start thinking uh, there's a book in here my father wrote this thing um it was called clogs to clogs in 500 years and that takes the, the bentinks 500 years ago peasants and they become you know a kind of a big aristocratic family yeah. and it comes down to pa who's inherited nothing you know and he's an yeah. ad man at j walter thompson and um he's pretty pissed off about that <laughs> so and he could write you know he could really write and yeah. so he started this thing and then and then he got cancer and died and so he never really got he didn't even get into his 20s he, but what he did do in the in the, the the beginnings he wrote down his experience of our family and all the the nutty relations mm. that we've got and where it all came from which is great to have because otherwise i wouldn't have that but what we missed is you know he'd say oh i'll come on, I'll, I'll expand on this later yeah. and then later never happened because he died yeah. and I thought that was that was tragic and um, he had a really interesting and extraordinary life and he I wished he'd finished it and mm -hmm. so I thought well before you know I get hit by a bus I'm going to write down what happened to me because I've done lots of you know crazy things and I want my children and my grandchildren to go more I mean I think I mean I wrote in the book the catalyst for this is is is, is that if for a long time, if you Googled me, it went Tim Bentinck, known for conjoined gnome left in Gnomeo and Juliet, which was because I was doing some background voices on gnomes. Yeah. <laughs> and I got a credit for conjoined gnome left. And it's the highest grossing movie I've ever been involved in. And IMDb, the algorithm goes, doesn't matter what part you've played or what you've ever done in your entire life. Yeah. The part, the, the film that has the highest grossing film you've ever been in, that's your credit. So it goes known for. And that's what used to come up in that box on the right, you know, from Wikipedia. So yeah. Tim Bentinck, known for, can join them left in Nomeo and Juliet. And I went, I'm not having that. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought, I'm going to put the record straight. Yeah. So mixture of my dad not finishing his and that. And um, and yeah, just setting setting the record straight that it's not yeah. also that it's being David Archer and other unusual ways of earning a living. So it's not it's, you know, David Archer is one thing that I do. You touched on a slight, not necessarily bitterness, but a disappointment of how things have like so many some jobs that haven't come off and what have you. And it's 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 funny because. I think there are a lot of autobiographies, a lot of uh, people's stories, celebrities, that focus on this massive importance of making it into the stratosphere. Mm. And then only then and only then must we celebrate their lives mm. and then probably tear them down anyway. Mm. Uh, what, I, what I love about your autobiography is that it is a normal conversation with, with someone who's got a vague, in, you know, massive interest in the arches but also what's behind you you know and what 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 a jobbing actor what that life must be like mm. and it is it's really eye-opening it's like a normal bloke you know it's <laughs> good. great good no well you know because th that's what people don't get also the other thing is that people you say oh he's in the arches a lot of people think that's all you do oh yeah you absolutely. know that you are there from nine to five every single day doing the arches and you do nothing else whatsoever and a lot of people think that i did 
yeah. until I read your book. Well, there you go. I mean, you yeah. know, people people do. You know, if you're in EastEnders, I think I'm right in saying that they're not on individual contracts per episode. I think they're on a retainer. And we're not. You know, we just mm. get paid per one. So, if, you know, one month I might have no episodes and don't get any money. Yeah. Next, I mean, there's, there's the, I won't say who, but there are um, some actors. They've got a storyline coming up. And um, one of the actors told me he's got 16 episodes next month. That's a that's doing well so if you if you talk about like the wild heady days of like the absolute epicenter of your acting career when you were say late 20s early 30s i don't know mm. you know what what would be like the one tale that you'd pick out from all that that did, like sort of would define those head those heady days of acting oh and- uh, doing the sword fights in by the sword divided yeah 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 I mean, what's not to love about earning quite a lot of money yeah. dueling with swords? You know, that, <laughs> that is, that's what I joined up for, really. Yeah. That, that, I thought it was always going to be like that. You yeah. know, it's just going to be, be sword fighting, really, for yeah. most of my life. <laughs> that must have been pretty. That must have been it pretty cool. It was the coolest thing in the world, and you know, riding horses, riding into battle, you yeah. know, and then Sharp's rifles being you know, facing a cavalry charge of these Russian Cossacks dressed up as French hussars coming at you at full gallop, screaming blue murder with their swords out, and you're standing in the middle of a field with a sword up, you know, thinking, this is no place for a human being and this is no acting required here. I, nothing I learned at drama school prepares me for this. This is war. Yeah, and that was yeah, that was. I wanted, you know, that's what I wanted to do, really. I just wanted to go around the around the world filming adventure. Being a pirate, you know, being a pirate was was fantastic. Unfortunately, it was all at Shepparton inside, but it was Kevin Klein and Linda Ronstadt. It was pretty cool. Yeah. But really and truly, I'd much rather be out on the high seas, you know. But yeah. all the other actors who, who've done that say it's absolute bloody nightmare because you're yeah. out there for months and there's, you know, privations and you die of sunburn and everything. But yeah. I don't care, really. I just like to do that. You know, yeah. A life adventure on the high seas is that's really what I want to do. So when did so it... Bond villain, you know, now age sixty four, yeah. <laughs> fighting yeah. a fighting sword fighting Bond villain <laughs> would be cool. You know, time travel maybe. You know, it, it, with, with time travel. Talking of time travel, yeah. you do know my latest credit that I am now. I have. I am now got. A, I am um, Tom Baker's stuntman. Oh. Uh, uh, so I have played Doctor Who. I've now got Time Lord to add to my credits. Get out of here. There's a new thing called Sharda, which is um, the long-awaited episode, the lost episode from Doctor Who, and that they put it all together with animation and with um, with, with Tom Baker comes back at the end. Yeah. Um, and he's fixing the TARDIS, and uh, that's me, that's my body, because Tom wouldn't go underneath the TARDIS console because he's 80-something. Yeah. So it's my body. And then as he gets up from there, then you cut to, to Tom. So I've got this picture of me in the Doctor Who outfit standing next to Tom Baker. Yeah. And I've got a video of this this lovely guy called Mark who's who built the TARDIS console. And so now I've got this whole new generation of 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 Whovians who, you know, who yeah. go, Yeah, Tim, you know, you're Doctor Who man. You know. <laughs> welcome to the family. Yeah, welcome to the family. Oh my god, well, you yeah. know, maybe you could play a, vo- a villain in, in a forthcoming episode or something. I, I should. I know, yeah. absolutely. I've already been I have been a villain in in, in voice only. There's the, I'm the voice of the monk. Um that with was, if you remember the episode uh, series 6 just recently um Peter Capaldi goes blind and the monks and these guys with the with kind of completely covered in latex. Yeah. And there's this performance artist who just mouthed and went <laughs> opened his mouth and shut his mouth like that and uh, 
and I had to put the voice of the monk into him. So I am the voice of the monk. So I've been, I've now gone to Comic Con, yeah, and been surrounded by people doing cosplay, which is a, a complete eye opener, um, and signing autographs of this guy, this you know, the monk with his, really? his latex face on, because I was the voice of the monk. Yeah, That's so I've got my Doctor Who credit. Oh, yeah, 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 there yeah, you yeah. go. I'm writing in there, and also I've been in lots of big Finnish audio productions of, of Doctor Who as well. Yeah, God, that's amazing. I just, I, I it's want. A, it's all about ticking these boxes of things from your youth. You yeah. Know? So I've been the voice of James Bond. Yeah. And I'm, I'm now been Doctor Who, and the voice of James Bond. That was that was yeah. in the video game of the world is not enough. Yes. Where I gave my Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Again, that, slightly Yoshi. Yeah, so, I was going to say, but that that's kind of like Irish American. Isn't Irish it? American is very hard to do. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of strange. Pierce's voice. It's that's very difficult good, to do. Though. It's very hard. They kept having to give me Pierce's voice in my ear to be able to get it just before I did each take because it's so weirdly kind of half Irish and half American. So I wanted, I did want to talk a little bit about um, some of the harder aspects of your life because. Um, I suffered loss myself. I, my my father died when I was like twenty two, which was pretty crap. Not good. Um, and I, in your book, you're very open about your your mother's uh, suicide. Mm. And you were you were like twelve years old. Thirteen, yeah. Thirteen. Yeah. I mean, when I obviously this is another aspect of my absolute, I don't know, not stupidity, but just I'm just going to read about David Archer or something. I picked up this book, and there's. A whole fucking life there of mm-hmm. of real sadness. Hmm. I mean, how did you deal with that? Thirteen years old. Do you think you have? Well, I mean, I'll tell you what. I mean, writing the book has been fantastically therapeutic. It's opened up a lot of a lot of things that were close to me. And I, when I went back and revisit, you know, I mean, everybody should write this. Everybody should do this. Everybody should write the lifetime because going back and visit, revisiting your past and really thinking about things that happened to you and how you've probably, you might have been particularly with, with mum dying, I've shut the door emotionally on that, you know, in order not, in order not to be hurt by it. Yeah. Um, and that when I went back and revisited it in my head, I, you know, I broke down and, 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 and wept and wept and wept because I had realised I hadn't really kind of cope with it and so it was and then when you think well what shall I put down in the book you know to be read by people I don't know and that was a very difficult decision about how much to put in and I think we sort of got it just about yeah balanced it out right just by saying look this is what happened <laughs> you can make your own mind up yeah. as to what this little boy went through yeah. and the answer is that little boys are probably much better at coping with it than than people older you at the age of 22 mm. probably had a w- much worse time my mm. sisters who are six years and 12 years older than me they had to put up with them you know they had to cope with their mother dying and I didn't really realize that at the time I thought they were kind of grown you know grown up and therefore yeah. they could cope with it not at all I was actually much better at coping it with they were they were suffering far worse than I yeah. was and I didn't realize that at the time do you think it's like sort of like com- computing it uh as an older man when you're writing your autobiography it's sort of then then you're viewing it as a man and you do you did you look back on a 13 year old boy and sort of oh my god you know did you have sympathy for your 13 <laughs> year old self yeah i hadn't realized that it it went along with the fact that my last year at prep school i was i was not physically bullied but i was sent to coventry because mm. they were all going on to the senior school and and i was going off to the posh school oh, yeah. which wasn't you know my decision but that's yeah. what happened and so they all well, my mates turned against me so i was ignored and and i suffered from that quite a lot but and that they, was right at the time when your mother had, had gone no 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 she was still alive then yeah. so then my last year and then so then i went to harrods i had my first year at the boarding school which you know as you know is pretty 
weird yeah. suddenly be in this very you know 1960s in a boarding school it was it wasn't easy at yeah. all and then we had christmas and then and then she took her own life and so the combination of those that double whammy and then having to cope with five years of being at school and yeah. just being told to get on with it like you did yeah. um meant that when it came to writing the autobiography and going through that and i came out the other side of it going and jude said you should go and see somebody you know mm. go and see somebody about it and everyone has been saying you know your mother died your mother took her own life when you're 13 you should go to see a therapist and i've always gone no no i'm fine i'm, all right, I'm sorry yeah so i thought all right i will so i did it was very expensive <laughs> <laughs> it's really expensive just for me to sit there for an hour you know well three sessions and i just talked and all she said really was you know you're allowed to be fucked up yeah you know that's yeah. that's and i went oh okay yeah. so i am uh, fucked up then she said yeah and that's but it's okay you know so that was yeah. rather good because <laughs> i think it's how it manifests itself i've never really I know, i've never really computed how that how a death of your father like uh, how it how it has affected me long term i mean obviously it's only been 13 14 years it's only been it's quite a long time yeah. but i don't i don't know how it has i mean i i often think about say for example i'm interviewing michael Hesseltine or fuck it nick clegg whoever I wonder what he would think of me. And then I, I was thinking about you, and I was thinking how... What, what would your did, dad would think of you? Yeah, yeah. and like, it, what's really annoying is in my mind, sometimes I'll have vague flashes of actual breakthrough in my mind, two or three seconds, where I'll actually get an answer of what he would say to me. But my evil side of my brain doesn't let me experience that, that actual clairvoyance that sort of moment of actual oh my god yeah he'd totally say well done or he would be like this I can or my mind will allow me to imagine him sitting at the end of you know on a I don't know in the kitchen or something saying oh well done with Michael Heseltine or something yeah 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 but it's, it's not there anymore you know I, I don't I'm not my brain doesn't allow me to do no, that. that that does that does get better yeah I mean I you know there are plenty of times when I you know when I've done that achievement I mean there haven't been that many but writing a book I, you know, this is a completely unfamiliar thing that happened. I was so scared when it came out. I was so terrified. What have I done? You know, I've said, I've let all these things out about me, and these strangers are going to read it. Yeah. And it, it's proved to be that people have have enjoyed it, and that you know, there's some nice reviews, and the, the people like you are going, it's all right, Tim. You know, it's yeah. okay. And and I had this entirely unfamiliar feeling that came across me. I thought, what is this weird feeling? I went, oh, I know. I'm a bit proud. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I've, I've, I've achieved something. I've done a thing. And I said to my son the other day, I said, you know, it's kind of weird. I've, I've actually done something. He said, oh, for fuck's sake, Pa. He said, you know, you've done plenty of things you could be proud of. I go, yeah. no, but this is a thing, you yeah. know, it's palpable. And it sort of worked and it's all right. And, yeah. and it's, it's really unusual feeling for me. Yeah. And, you know, so of course, like, you know, going to go to my head, darling. And of course, I'm all awful now. <laughs> I go and I start writing, you know, the history of Western philosophy, you know, and write <laughs> novels and write plays and Christ knows what. Marvelous, marvelous. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not. But it's just, you know, yeah. I go, yeah, I did that then. I did that then. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. What's your? I mean, bearing in mind, you know, you've you've lost your father. It was at 97. I don't. I have absolutely no idea of your relationship with your with your sons. But I mean, what what kind of dad are you? Are you kind of like a <laughs> a bad dancing dad that goes, hey, let's have a drink and go dance down the pub, or are you a distant dad that lets your no, kids get on? What? No. 
Are you really proud of your relationship? <coughs> no, I'm really proud of it now. I mean, you know, we all make mistakes, and I was, I was a bit, I was tough on them. I think I, I've, I mean, if I have any regrets, I was, uh, I was too tough on them when they were younger. Yeah. Um, and I look back at certain incidents, and I go, oh, I shouldn't have been, that, I shouldn't have been that hard on them. Not, not physically, but yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, I'd have a go, and I've, you know, I have apologised to them, and and I think, I think they've forgiven me. Yeah. Because we do have, we do have a nice relationship now. Yeah. Um, I'm very, I'm very close, and uh, I mean, Jasper's been in Japan for three years. You know, yeah. and it's really hard. You do Skype, but and so we've got that, but it's not the same. It's not the same as living in the same house with somebody. I mean, the, I mean, last time he came back and something happened, and I, I just got slightly cross with him, and I kind of thought, oh God, you know, I'm treating him like, like he was. 18 and he's 26 you know and I've yeah. got, I can't do that anymore yeah. just, but there is a there's a natural kind of give and take about a father mother you know parent child relationship mm-hmm. which um, you, you, nobody nobody prepares you for nobody tells you how to do it you have to make it up for yourself and you make mistakes going along that and yeah. at the basis of that as long as there is you know mutual respect and love then you're going to be alright if there isn't then you're in trouble but so I think we're all right. Yeah. I think we're okay. I think they've forgiven yeah. me. So do you, do you ever take any of that stuff into your relationship with um, with the, uh, your David character and Pip, Pip being your younger daughter mm. act, acting? What do you call your, who plays Pip? Daisy Badger. Daisy Badger. Her her character. Do you ever take any of that with you? No, because you're kind of constricted by the lines. And I mean, people have said, I mean, the weirdest letter I got once was somebody who said, you know, if it, Tim, dear Tim, if you continue treating your daughter like that, you're going to lose her. You know, that <laughs> to Tim, not to David. <laughs> I go, I can't help that, you know. And there's times when people say you've been, you know, when you're talking to your sons, you're too tough on them. Well, that's how my father was with me. It's how I was with my boys. And I expect them to give me as good back. If I'm, you know, heavy on them, then they turn around and tell me to F off, you know. And, And that's how it should be. I told my, my father told me to fuck off once. Oh, really? Yeah, once. And, um... You know, because we've been having this rather intellectual conversation. It was about agents, actually, about changing voice agent. Yeah. And I thought I was doing the right thing, and he thought that I was being really stupid, and uh, and I held my ground. And um, I can remember it distinctly. We were in the garden, he's done this, this house in, in in Devon, and he went, "Oh, fuck off," and walked back into the house. And then about half an hour later, my stepmother came out, and she said, "You've got to go and see your father because he's." You know, he's in a bad way and he was having a kind of panic attack because he told me to fuck off because he never had before um and he was you know and he was he was really upset and i had to go up there and there's been this really strange surreal situation of giving him a hug and telling him it was all right and it's okay to tell me to fuck off um oh, and i have you know i've never i've never done that to the boys and, and, and yeah. because that is heavy you know that's dude, there's, really heavy. dude there's still plenty of time <laughs> you know mate come on you're 64 you yeah. know you, you you could tell him to fuck off whenever it could just come out of nowhere yeah you know then they've got to come he's going to come back from japan yeah and he's got to you know give you a hug yeah it's going to be a costly experience yeah you know <laughs> just just beware yeah. you know it's a possibility i know but well, i have to say i mean we've got this you know we've got this christmas coming up and jasper back from Japan for the first time for three years and yeah. Will and he's got uh, is, is, is Rebecca who is um, you know 
going to be the daughter, our daughter-in-law. Um, they're getting hitched. Well, they're not going to, you know, that was another thing. There's another conversation between father and son going on to two o'clock in the morning. Are you two going to get married? And we'll come out with all these, you know, you've got a first in philosophies. He's heavy duty. Um, coming up with all these very cogent reasons why it wasn't a good idea to get married. Right. And then I said, all right, well, that's the left-hand side of the column. What's on the right-hand side of the column? The yes. He said, because Rebecca wants to get married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I said, mate, it's more than that. You know, there is yeah. there is more than that. We were we were very radical when we were younger, and we said we didn't want to you know, have a traditional wedding, and we would just wanted to sign a piece of paper and have a party, and that's pretty much what we did. Yeah. And we were kind of you know, a bit ahead of our times, and he's saying the same things. I'm not going to argue with that, but in... Yeah. In, in in retrospect now I'm looking and saying there's more to it than that. Do you ever think David Archer, how he how he how is he gonna meet his end and how, how you'd like him to go and How would David die? Um God. All right. Well uh, Mary Wimbush who played Julia Pargett Julia Pargett, she she died on the job, literally. She was there, she was recording. She's walking down the stairs um with um Alison Dowling who played her daughter and she died in Alison's arms. Tragically, but from the point of view of you know how do you want to go as an actor, that's pretty that's that's good. Yeah. That's the way to do it. I'd rather do that than be in retirement. I mean, I can't see myself really retiring because in the way you know you think you look at people who who go into retirement and a lot of people go, you know, I've lost my raison d'être. Yeah, they go know. down under, don't and they do, yeah. and they go, what do I do now? You know, and and I've got enough time <laughs> being unemployed. Yeah. To, to do all the kind of those hobby things, to do all those things that I, you know, what do you do in your spare time? You know, an actor if, it's like me, it's, I've got, I do have time. Mm. When you trade off about the kind of t- terror of thinking, oh God, I've got, you know, today I'm not working today and that's terrifying. I'll never work again. I'll never any, earn any money. And as you get older, I mean, I'm trying to just simply grow. I mean, like this week, I've got one job this week and I'm, you know, it's Christmas coming up. I'm going to go and do Christmas shopping. I'm talking to you, going out and having a drink with mates, you know, enjoy your life. Because yeah. I'm, you know, it's not that much longer now it might be 30 years might be tomorrow who knows there's no point in kind of getting all worried about stuff because you do but it's it's stupid to do that and so therefore i would like to um to to die on the job preferably not so much walking down the stairs from doing the arches much better to be throwing myself out of an aircraft doing a stunt as a bond villain yeah that's how it should go (laughs) you know tim 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 benting bond villain dies on the job Luckily, yeah. having just completed the final shot, so the film will go out. He's not going to be recast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. But I mean, David. So David's character. I mean, I. What do you reckon? Under a tractor, whilst he would be like, he'll be like eighty-five years old, and the tractor, the handbrake will break, and. Um, well, hopefully, he, David will only die once I've died. You know, hopefully they won't go and kill David off while I'm still alive. Touch wood, because that would be a bit, a bit, he- a bit heavy. Yeah. Um. So no, you know, poor old Tim. You know, he was eighty-five. He had a good innings, and old David, grandfather, grandpa, great grandpa, David Archer. Um, he he dies of natural causes, I should imagine, probably. Yeah. yeah. Or I or, mean, or in, amount- a, in a tragic tractor accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like just he, yeah. he he turns to acid at the age of like yeah. Yeah. He drowns man. in a slurry pit. Or that's, yeah. yeah. No, that's not a good one. No, no. Pip leaves home. Um, Josh leaves home. He turns to acid. I think yeah. it's a great storyline, and quite it's, frankly, it's to be recommended. Yeah, no heroin when you're in your nineties is definitely a good idea. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Ayahuasca. Um, the, yeah, the pathos that you guys managed to deliver, either it's you and Ruth or you on your own talking to your mum. Mm. It's um, 
it's something, isn't it? It's like really weighty. I suppose what I was trying to get at earlier when I talked about chemistry in a recording studio was more, I suppose, along the lines of you create your own chemistry. Do you ever step oh, away? You step away from a scene and you go, "God, we really got something." Yeah, there. yeah, we yeah. do. Every now and again, we look at each other and, and just do a little wink and go, "That was alright." Yeah, you know, we know when we've nailed it. And that happens every now and again. Yeah. And also we know when we're winding the audience up, which is always lovely. And when you finish and you go, oh, that'll have them shouting at the radio, you know. Yeah, and you go, yeah. David, for God's sake, pull yourself together, all that. It's all, you know, it's all on purpose. It's, yeah. not, it's not done by mistake. I didn't want to get t- turn, turn like 180 degrees too hard onto an intense subject matter. But I think it's kind of just, I've got to do it, I suppose. Okay. The tiny chapter you have in your book, sorry, paragraph even, about the loss of your child. Mm. I don't know if you're happy to talk about it or not. Yeah, sure. I mean, I spoke to, you know, I was happy to write it in. And I mean, it's down to Judy, because I mean, I said, are you all right with this? Yeah. I want to write it because, you know, the chapter's called Young Parents, and it talks about the birth of Will, and talks about the birth of Walnut, and it talks about the birth of Jasper, and all three of them were stories, Mm. um, um, which, you know, affected me profoundly. And so if you're going to write a book about yourself, and I, I felt that it was... It, this is about me and I'm not going to tell everything about me of course but those were very 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 profoundly affecting yeah. things and so and you know we talk about Will being born talk about Jasper being born and Jasper was a you know thing in itself because he nearly died you know he so nearly died because of meningitis and listeria meningitis hydrocephalus so six weeks premature he's six weeks premature yeah. and um and you know here he is now he's 26 he's coming back from Japan he's a you know he's a miracle he's a miracle Jasper yeah and one of the things is that if if the if the the child that was a miscarriage who we called walnut um had lived then jasper wouldn't have been born because of the timing would have been so you that is a such a compensation yeah for 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 that but no he the doctor judy you know, went into labor early here in the house downstairs and and um and the doctor came and when he cleaned up afterwards he hadn't taken the fetus with him and I found it on the floor yeah. and um, and and held it in my hands and that was profoundly shocking and yeah. you know then you see life in all its forms you know you're there at the beginning of it and you're there to see yeah. the birth but then suddenly there's this bit which is in the middle of it and I thought shall I put it in and I talked to Judy about it and she was you know we talked a lot and I yeah. said if you don't want me to darling I won't you know and she went oh. And after a bit, she said something. She said, "Well, it's just natural, isn't it? You know, people, it's what happens to people. It's not like it's a sort of an alien thing or something that's weird or kind of yeah. strange. It, it does. This is this happens to people. It didn't happen to us. Mm. But it is extraordinary. This that that sorry that 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 moment has stuck with me. The, the child that obviously what didn't that died. I, I just I can't imagine what went through your head at that moment in time. And I honestly, I wanted you to talk about it more because I not I wanted to. I wanted to know, like, partly because it's it's sort of, it's like a, a, a map, a roadmap for people in the future to, obviously, other people would have spoken about it. I'd never heard that before. I'd never read that kind of thing before. That was really? breathtaking, like, genuinely, you know, and I, I can't imagine. Well, it was a decision, to, you know, as to whether or not to put it in, and yeah. we did think about it a lot, but... Um, and I thought, you know, if you say I wanted to hear more, no, you weren't going to get more. That was it. You know, yeah. that was that I got was that, that, that was yeah. enough. That was that was enough. This, this happened to me. You make your own mind up. But I mean, I think again, having come through it now, the other side of that, this weird catharsis of writing about your own, you know, your, your life and going back and re- revisiting it. Mm. 
the thing that came that became apparent writing this book and one of the things that coming out of going into that therapy is that I'm very bad at death you know I'm very bad at at, at heavinesses like that and when you say how can you cope with it and everything it's definitely because of mum it's definitely because mm-hmm. you know at the age of 13 you'd suddenly one minute you had a mother and the next minute you didn't and there was no funeral and it's literally just expected to carry on that when people when great tragedy happens I my emotions I mean and I'm pathetic I'll cry at the drop of a hat at a movie and things like that but when it gets really heavy I close down I mm. my emotions going to kind of mm. okay so that's happened then you know and that's 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 the 13 year old me yeah. that just shut down um and that's how to answer your question how you cope with those kind of things and when things get heavy and when people die and all of that I'm very bad at it I'm very very bad at it yeah no, I mean, something, I can't remember what the phrase was, but somebody was saying the other day that the very nature of being human is that it, it, it is just this trying to fool yourself that it's all all right because it, it's going to end in tragedy, yeah. you know, and all of us spend our entire times going, going, no, it's okay, you yeah, know, yeah, no. but you're going to be dead one day. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 but that's fine. That's, you know, because we're human and yeah. we fool ourselves that this is all cool, but it's not really. Yeah. Are you kind of someone that sort of wants to? Um, are you quite act- active in terms of creativity? Are you constantly aware that you only get one shot, yeah. and it's important to keep keep making, <coughs> being creative, yeah. and what have you? Yeah, very much so. And I mean, that's the nature of this this book. You know, this is my one shot. Yeah. I'm not going to write another autobiography. So if I'm going to do it, you know, that's why I, I haven't made any money out of it because I put, spend a lot on PR. Um, yeah. you know, get all these interviews, and you know, it doesn't come. I mean, the the the, the publisher's PR has been very very good, but also I've sort of backed it up. So I just paid um, I just paid the PR person exactly the same amount of money as my first royalty check. So my <laughs> okay, then. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been. I've been high profile for the first time since I was in my 20s. But, you know, what it should be doing is get me the next job. Yeah. And that probably won't because then they'll go, oh, you're just David Archer because they've seen, well, they haven't read the book and seen it. They just looked at the front. Oh, he's oh, being David Archer. Yeah. Oh, that's what he does then. So I've probably, I've probably blown it on that front as well. Well, your comedy, your comic timing is unbelievable. Like in, in the thick of it, it's fantastic. <laughs> Do you, the, 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 the bit where... Um, Who's the chap who plays that? Capaldi. Uh, yeah, um, Peter, Peter, Peter Capaldi. Capaldi. He plays that, um, the arsehole, um, uh, Alistair, what's his name? Alistair, Malcolm Tucker. Mal- yeah, yeah. And um, you're getting, do you want to describe it? Because I'm just making an absolute Not fucking balls up of it. And it's no, because so that, that was the, the thing is that it's Armando uh, yeah. Iannucci and the way that he works and it's semi-improvised. So while you've got a script, then what happens is that he'll he then see once you've once you've got it and you've recorded sort of two or three takes of the script, then he'll say let's just loosen this up a bit. Yeah. And he gives you some um, a piece of paper with some extra lines that you might want to throw in. Yeah. So then in the middle of the script and you're expecting something and then suddenly Capaldi comes up with something completely out of left field and you have to react to that. You know? Yeah. That's why it works. Yeah. That's why it's different to anything else because everything else you know as actors you know you're doing the script, whereas with Armando. You never know what the person's going to going to say next, yeah. and um, it's like the perfect example was not with Peter. Was when I was in the summer special, I'm in the back of a taxi, and the guy, I can never remember his name, his other rabid Glaswegian, brilliant, but scary, was going, "Are you a horse?" And uh, I think I've written wrote this in the book as well. Are you a horse? I'm sorry, one. Are you a horse? 
Um, no, I can categorically say that I'm not a horse. <laughs> right, you're not. You're not a horse. You're not a st- fucking stalking horse. Oh, God. Oh, right. I got, uh, got it. So that was how it was. And then, in, we'd, so we'd done that. And then we'd say, let's loosen it up a bit. He suddenly goes, you're not a horse because you've got a pretty fucking horsey face and so is your fucking wife. <laughs> and my natural defence of, you know, my wife, who in my mind, Judy, he, this guy is having a go at my wife having a fucking horsey face. <laughs> and there's this flash of anger in my face because I wasn't expecting it. There's this flash of anger that you can't act, you know. You almost can't do that as yeah. an actor. That was real, absolutely real. And I love that. And I, I really want to do more of that kind yeah. of work. It's the best, you know, doing improv is the best. Yeah. Because you've done a whole bunch of short movies as well, short yeah. short films. Yeah. What are the ones we should be looking out for? Oh, well, you've got to see The Pride of Wade Ellison. Yeah. Because The Pride of Wade Ellison, I got to do my Clint voice. <laughs> and yeah. I got to have a gunfight, and I was bull whipped, oh, really? and I riding, riding the horse fast through the, with the, with the, you know, with the music going in the background. Man, I was a cowboy. Yeah. I joined up, you know. That's what I dreamt of as a child. Cowboys and Indians. That's what we played. Yeah. And I got to be a cowboy, and I got to have all the, all the, you know, the memes, the cliches, the yeah. whole thing, all the, the stance, you know. Did you shoot anybody? Um, yeah, shot three guys. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Shot three guys, man. You got to. I don't know. It's on the. Where is it? There's a. There's a, the trailer for it online. The Pride yeah. of Wade Ellison. Yeah. But I don't think he ever put the whole movie up. I've got the whole movie, and I've sort yeah. of. I've cut my bits together. Yeah, and so um, is the big film role going to come? Do you think? Are you holding out for that? Is that like the big? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. man. I mean, you know, you've got to be optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Jeffrey Rush. Um, yeah. Things came late to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, I've got, I'm, I'm, I've got better at it now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm quite good at it. You know, without blowing my own trumpet, I do take the piss out of myself all the you, way through the you book. You do, you do. I but, have to say that you say, uh, you say when you first started out, you there were a lot of directors, was, people say, turn it down, yeah, turn, turn it down. down. I was yeah. doing too much. I was doing theatre acting. Yeah. But I've worked, I've worked it out now, mm. and. Um, and I, I know I'm, you know, I'm actually quite good now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so it was that awful thing that George Clooney said about his attitude to casting, which was so sort of full of himself and big-headed, but I kind of like it. He said, I'm, I'm here to help you with your casting problem. Okay. And, you know, that's it. You walk in the door. And I, you know, now when I go casting up to, to a casting, I'm not thinking I'm just some guy that you know is begging for a role because i don't ultimately don't give a shit you know because it's just be another one you know and if you get this one you win some you know i really do you win some you lose some and yeah. if you lose it then don't get worried about it just go to the next one so you turn up and you go what do you need you know what's this script uh-huh okay oh so you, it's that kind of a person yeah and then i either go well i'm not going to get it because you i can see exactly what you want yeah. And I'm not that guy. So we go, thank you very much indeed. And, you know, well, I'll do it, go through both. And every now and again, you go, oh, this is my part. Yeah, you know, this is my part. Yeah. And by and large, I get that because it was my part. You yeah. Know? And then you're part of the team. Then you talk to the director about it. And you're you're not just a vassal. You're part of the 
part of the team. Yeah. You join the team and you then you create. And I just did this thing called the dead dog. I said, do you, do you have get a chance to look at it? It wouldn't fucking upload. I listened to the uh, first, I watched the first three minutes. It just kept on work breaking. We'll come uh, watch in a bit. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's odd. It's a very strange thing because it's sort of meant to be surreal. And it is, it's meant to be surreal. So, and it is surreal. But I play this gay duke like that. And, um, it sort of it starts off a bit sort of strange. Anyway, it doesn't. I, I have this really nice monologue in the minute, which is the defence of old English pubs, and, um, and 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 attacking the you know ghastly chain pubs, and also attacking all the you know the incomers from the from London who come down with their fancy ways and all of that, yeah. and um, you, you know. And uh, and I was three three days in this pub in Gloucestershire, and we were creating it, you know, with the script, and we were writing the script, not writing it, but we were looking at, you know, and I was talking to the director and talking to the producer, and I was number one on the, you know, on the course sheet, and it was I was the lead, I was the lead in a movie, and I go, this is my natural. <laughs> This is where I should be. This is where I feel at home. Yeah, you know, you, you and every other actor. It's right? my gig here, yeah, yeah. and I'm and I and I, you know, I was flawed. The things I could have done better in it, but it's fun. It's mm. fun, yeah. and I had a great time doing it. And that's that's where I that's where I'm most natural to be number one on the call sheet. How, how does it work then? Because I'd love to know, like, in terms of uh, you've got you get an agent, blah blah blah. There would probably be a lot of people that would be like, well, you know, if you want that Bond villain role, how come you haven't got it? Is it is, is it about the you get typecast as David Archer too much? Is it about your wrong agents over the years? What it, what it really is it about? I mean, it's not- a mix. It's so much. It's a mixture of things. You know, yeah. it does help to have a really powerful agent. And when I started off, I did have. I kept being put up for things like, well, I won't get this. And it's been, it's been all right. I mean, you know, you look at what I've done. I've done a hell of a lot of stuff, and it's yeah. but they've been mid- middling roles. And occasionally, I get a lead thing, like in you know, and then it's Royal Bodyguard, you know, which was a disaster. That was a leading part, you know. With, yeah. um, that was with David Jason. With David Jason, yeah, and that yeah. was a complete flop. Um, but it's so it's so there is a lot of luck, you know. The re- a horrible amount of it is yeah. the being in the right place at the right time. You walk through the door for that particular part, and you get that particular part, and that particular thing becomes, you know, the next train spotting. I mean, like, look at those guys who went up for train spotting. They didn't know that it was going to completely change their lives, mm. and they were going to become household names as a result of it. You know, they've done lots of things before which didn't, yeah. and I've done lots of things which haven't. Um, and it's just a question of it could have been one of those ones that would completely change my life. Yeah. And you know, so it's all right. I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I still yeah. earn. I still earn all right. Still have fun. Well, no, and, and I suppose the most important thing about it all really is that, or at least I, from my perspective, is um, you belong in millions of people's hearts uh, uh, that uh, other actors just simply won't be able to have because they're not a radio. They haven't been in radio for thirty-five years, mm. uh, crafting a character called David Archer who does belong in a lot of people's hearts. Mm. You know. I'd say that I don't want to blow smoke up your ass too much, but you know, it, I do often when I'm gardening, either beautiful summer or freezing cold winter, uh, I'll start crying. I'll just I'll literally have to put the the fork down or the spade. I'll be welling up. I'll just have to just stop what I'm doing and just have a fucking moment. Good, you know. Good because of what you guys create. Well, there's you a create, you know, so. there's a it's a heady responsibility and we take it very seriously. Yeah, you know, I don't take this lightly at all and. I know what it is to people because you know when when we meet the you meet the public or just meet friends or just talk to people. And when, particularly now with the book and doing signings, 
and people queue up you know man they queue up to have me sign a book you know and i'm hugely yeah. flattered and every person you know comes up and it's their chance to talk to david archer you know and tell me how much it means to them and i take every single person absolutely 100 percent seriously yeah. because it's not like hey i've heard this before well yes i've I have, but it's not the point. They haven't said it before. And so it would be terribly churlish not to, to give them the all the import that is due to them yeah. for having spent that time listening to me and, and coming and taking the time to, you know, to buy my book and to come up and say that it, how much it means to them. And I take it enormously seriously. Yeah. And, you know, it's the old cliche, isn't it? You know, you wouldn't have a programme without the audience and it's, mm. it takes two to tango, all of that. Yeah. So, um, no, it's I, I take it terribly seriously and, I, and it's lovely. Yeah. I mean, somebody said to me, I said once, do you listen to The Archer? And they said, oh, no, I'm far too young. I went, no, mate, you don't get it. You know, yeah. you don't. It's not meant, it's not directed at the over <laughs> yeah. 50s. It's directed at everybody, you yeah. know. And there are plenty of people who said, you know, who I've heard say, oh, I used to hate it. And then, you know, my parents listened to it and I was in the backseat of the car. And then one day there was this episode. And I was, you know, as a kid sitting in the backseat of the car and they they, you know, they get to their destination, yeah. they're about to turn the radio off and they go, no, 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 I've got to listen to the end. Yeah, yeah. And at that moment, you know, that's it. You're hooked then, you know, and you get into it. And, and, yeah. and, and people, particularly, it's very nice when people listen with their parents that they've got a kind of good relationship with their parents and they yeah. listen together, you know. I think that's what it is for me. I think that we... The, the journeys down to the West Country when we were kids and they used to put the omnibus on and, and you, you know I wasn't tuning in I wasn't listening to I was patiently listening to it whatever um, then we didn't listen for 10 years but then my, my father's mother used to have it on while she was doing the washing up or whatever in the kitchen and that da, 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 and those beautiful lovely warm voices I can still hear Brian Brian Aldridge mm. talking to Jenny uh, whilst I'm in my grandmother's kitchen mm -hmm. or in the di my grandmother's dining room and it and that reconnection when I started listening to it again in my, when I was 25 I think that's what I was trying to achieve I was trying mm. to reconnect with my past mm. reconnect with my childhood and I think that there are people that do that I think that they go there's the arches you know and that's what I used to listen to when my grandmother had the radio on and I want to re, re I want to get back in touch with that side mm. you mm. know yeah sure so it just came to me then so. no no it's nice it's very nice I'm glad to yeah. hear it you yeah know, it's good right well there you go that brings that brings an end to a, one hell of a conversation. I think that there's not there's not an awful lot we didn't chat about there. Obviously, we circ circumnavigated politics pretty damn well, and 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 great because it's Christmas. It's, it's time to take a break from all that, and I hope you really got something from it. I totally loved it. It was fantastic meeting um, meeting Tim, one of the greatest radio voices of all time, I think, and and his story there was pretty compelling, and uh, a lot of humour. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, I did. Fucking hell. I loved it. I really, really loved it. And and you know what? To make it even better, he dropped me a message the other day and said, hey, here's a little recording I did of one a, a song that I like. It's one of my favourite songs of his. It's called If I Still Had You. And we don't really talk about this much on the podcast, um, but he does, on the episode rather, conversation, we, he, is, he is a musician as well. And this is a song... Uh, acoustic version of a song that I really really love it it's very stripped back it's got like an acoustic there a bit of banjo and it's kind of like early early Tom Waits I suppose and yeah and it's like that British kind of like, I can feel like I can almost feel it being in like a Richard Curtis movie which is a fantastic thing it's a fantastic thing so uh, Tim's going to play us out he's going to play us out this song If I Still Had You is available on his website which is uh, bentink.net 
uh, yeah, and it's all there, all the info, all his songs. I hope you enjoy it, and, and you can check out his uh, short movies on there as well. And they are funny, and they are funny. My God, he has got one hell of a range as an actor. He plays sinister and, and funny at the same time like no other I've actually seen in quite a while. So, yeah, here you go. Look, enjoy the song, and I'll, I'll see you after Christmas. Oh, oh I'm on one, one more thing just before I go. Yeah, obviously, th- there was meant to be a panel discussion uh, about the entire year and, and all the guests we've had on the show. But guess what? Uh, yeah, the uh, the laptop decided to delete the entire episode in front of my eyes. I, I don't know how it happened. I don't know. I Genuinely, I was there. I didn't touch anything. And suddenly, the, the whole entire file shrank from one and a half hours down to 15 seconds of silence. And oh, my God. I was just blown away. I just hope to God that never happens again. It was terrifying. But anyway, whole conversation, whole podcast, whole episode wiped out. So fine. I don't know. We'll talk about it in January, perhaps. But in the meantime, yes, once again, if I still had you by Tim Bentink. And once again, thank you, Tim, so much. You're a true, true gentleman and a lovely guy. Take care, guys. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year! Another morning in the pouring rain The bottle's empty and I feel the pain The letter from the landlord finally arrived The dog's been in a fight He's only just alive Clearing up the mess made me miss my train I caught a chill waiting for the next one In the pissing rain When I got to work I thought I ought to have a drink or two For the chill and the call to the bank And the IOU Even if it pours with rain always Even if I drink till my dying day And even if I can't keep the dog Cause the rent is due Honey, none of it would matter at all If I still had you TV dinner in the oven for a while too long Tried to eat it, but the radio played our song So I watched TV and I drank myself to sleep When the dog came and laid his head against my feet 
That's how I find myself Most mornings now Not awoken by a tender kiss But a hungry hound And the rain falls down And the radio plays the news And I smile at the dog And sing the blues But even if I sing the blues always Even if I drink to my dying days And even if I can't keep the dog Cause the rent is due Honey, none of it would matter at all If I still had you I still, darling, if I still.